I'm Dan Kimbrough, and this is Systemic, a podcast about race. I'm a diversity and inclusion advocate and trainer, educator, trained conflict mediator, and media producer with over 20 years of community building and diversity experience. From local communities to university campuses to corporate trainings, I've used my voice to bring people together and better understand each other. I'm also a black man and father. Each episode of Systemic will explore new aspects of race and racism in America. We will look at where we've been, how we got here, how it affects us today, and how we can move forward. The aim is to educate and explain the intertwining of race as a systemic part of American history and culture. We hope that each episode enlightens and drives you to help work towards an anti-racist future. Today I sit down with an old friend, Erica Acosta. Erica is a Brooklyn native and graduated from the State University of New York, Buffalo. Erica holds a BA in Spanish, an MS in Organizational Management, and an MBA. I met Erica when she moved to Pennsylvania and began working for Misericordia University as the Multicultural Student Outreach Coordinator. Working for Misericordia led Erica to her passion for diversity, equity, and social justice education and the development of Misericordia University's Multicultural Education Program, through which she created and developed innovative programming to educate the community on cross-cultural issues and create diversity awareness. Currently, Erica is the Director of Diversity Initiatives at Wilkes University. She provides support and services for undergraduate students from underrepresented groups, as well as facilitates and coordinates efforts across the university to enhance diversity and enrich academic, social, and cultural experiences for members of the campus community. She has developed a diversity certificate program for undergraduates called DIVE, Difference, Inclusion, Value, Each Other, and created a diversity and inclusion student conference where local colleges and universities attended daily conference about equity and social justice topics. Her passion for diversity and inclusion has led her to take on leadership roles in the Wilkes-Barre community, serving on boards that speak to her passion, including Dress for Success Luzerne County, Internal and Family Health Services, the Greater Wyoming Valley Chamber of Commerce, and the Northeast Pennsylvania Diversity Education Consortium. So what is your position and how did you get started? So right now I am the director of diversity affairs Mm -hmm. at a predominantly white institution. And how did I get started in DEI work? I will have to say, if I have to pinpoint a time where it started, I will say I was 15 years old when I wanted to do theater and there was this J. Fridge um, theater production, which is... uh, Jewish Racial Justice Consortium. They're still active mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Okay. All right. And All right. Um, so uh, that summer, I would say that my, I think my sophomore year summer, we went and we did activism in the park. So I had to memorize a couple of lines and I was Lady Liberty. And I had to recite a couple of lines and we just did this community theater work and it was all about justice. At the time, I didn't put two and two together, but I had to do a bio recently where somebody asked me the same question. Where did your passion come from? I'm like, I don't remember. As I sat there trying to write this bio, I was like, yes, I do. I was Lady Liberty. That's funny. So then fast forward. In high school, I did a lot of the community um, service work in our church, through the church, doing fundraisers um, for the youth group, Mm -hmm. community cleaning. Gotcha. Things that drove for my passion go to college i'm like what is this (laughs) so i go to suny buffalo upstate new york eight hours away from my house 
And I go to my first EOP club meeting, which is the Equal Opportunity Program. Okay. I did not qualify because my mom that year decides to work overtime. <laughs> so we did not get anything. I was like, no. But all my friends qualified for this EOP program. Mm -hmm. So they had a club just for that. But anybody was welcome. So I go in my first, I will say two meetings in, somebody in the audience was like, you should be the secretary. I'm like, what? Yeah, I think you should be the secretary. We're looking for a secretary. I'm like, I'm fresh to campus. I don't know anything. Don't worry. <laughs> That's we will get show you. you. That's, That's how, how they get you every time. And then... I started doing a lot of the multicultural education that I didn't mm -hmm. know that's what it was called. Right. To us, it was just programming mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where we did the brown paper bag, where we had um, difficult conversation about race, mm -hmm. interracial marriages. So that's where it all stemmed from. Gotcha. So throughout my whole high school, ex um, college experience, excuse me, I was doing a lot of that framework. Gotcha. At that time, I didn't know it was called DEI until you came into my life. <laughs> Fast forward to, um, what was it? 2008? Fall? Yeah. Yeah, fall of eight, fall of eight. Fall 2008, where you came and you put a name to it. And I was like, oh, this is what it's called. To me, it was just programming that a club yeah. did in order to engage students of color and to educate our friends. And from then on, I was like, oh, I really like these conversations. So that's how I started making it more of a structured program, mm -hmm. doing program with intent gotcha. and having outcomes. It okay. was through your lens and then shifting it, doing different trainings and then realizing, hey, there's professional development in DEI. <laughs> oh, we have money from the institution. Let's do this. Right. And then the camp came along, the diversity camp through, right. through NEPDAC. And I was like, oh, this is a great idea. And that's what I really liked. Mm -hmm. You know, engaging the students, exposing them to new ideas, not ideas, but like different cultures, right. religion. That exposure is very important mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, to changing the development of a person's growth. Right. And I feel like that's important in college because you need to have that growth somewhere. Somewhere. Yep. And not once you're in the workplace. If it happens later, then fine. But I feel like if you have it a lot earlier, you could be a better leader. Exactly. Yep. When you transition into the workforce. All right. So so you started. So you were dabbling and doing these things in high school and then you end up turning into a career. Um, so at Misericordia, you came in as an admissions counselor, right? Yes. The multicultural. Well, no, admission. You were admissions first. Were you? Yeah. The multicultural admissions counselor. So I okay. was assigned to assist in different fairs, promoting and trying to recruit more of the underrepresented students. of color. OK, gotcha. Mm -hmm. And then that eventually turned into what? To you helping me. me. <laughs> there were others involved. It wasn't, but it wasn't until you actually put the name to it that I was like, oh, this is big. Mm -hmm. And it, after you saying a couple of, this is great. We need to develop it into a program. I was like, I don't know if I can. I'm an admissions counselor. I'm a recruiter. <laughs> you know, he was like, no, let's see if we can get this more structured. And once we did that shift, that multicultural um, piece became more important. Gotcha. Where the mentoring and retention aligned, mm -hmm. which is very important. You know, I'm, we're not just recruiting them and leaving them out there, but finding them a place or home on campus with that education mm -hmm. through programming right. was very instrumental in developing that office and that structure outside of admission. So then that's how we were able to move from the admissions um, umbrella into student affairs. Right. 
So did you at, you went to SUNY Buffalo? So, huh? So did you have that, did you have you at SUNY Buffalo? Yes, I did. And she came, I will say, when I was a sophomore in college, Dr. Vicky T. Sapp. Okay. At first she was, uh, her name was um, Dr. Vicky T. Mm -hmm. And then when she went and got her doctorate from the University of Rochester, she left Buffalo. But during her time at Buffalo, she made the center. She found money funding. Gotcha. Where she created this space for us. Mm -hmm. And it was nice. It was right in the student union. It was on the second floor. And you had to pass it. Right. So as you were being intrigued, and she had different modules that you can get involved in, different certificate. Something that I really remember that she did a lot was the cultural bazaars. Mm -hmm. So at this bazaar, it was like almost like a mini carnival. You had food, you mm -hmm. had dances, you had um, speakers. And then I remember she they also had like a lavender a portion where the LGBTQ did a drag show and mm -hmm. things like that. So it was all encompassing all year around. Gotcha. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, this is so great. And I was a part of different clubs mm -hmm. still as an undergrad. And I was like, oh, we will collaborate with her office, engage, and she will be like, hey, why don't you come? And things like that. All right. So so you grew up having sort of that person at the university yes. and then become that person. Why is having a multicultural or a diversity office that doesn't just focus on admissions but retention important? I think it's very important, and I will talk more on your first-generation students. Mm -hmm. It's very important because being a first-generation myself and not knowing anything and me wandering around in the lobby, mm -hmm. one of my advisors from TRIO at the time was like, she heard me, and then I didn't realize that was under her program. She was like, oh, I just sent you an email. Come in. And she showed my parents and I where the financial aid office was. Gotcha. Once she saw me in that interaction, she was like, I need you to work in this office. So that was my <laughs> – that's how I knew about work study. Gotcha. Because she helped me. I didn't know what work study was. Right. My parents didn't go to school here. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's really hard to navigate that realm when you don't know. Right. But because I had influential – strong female characters in my life that was like, no, this is where you need to belong. This is what we need to do. Mm -hmm. That's important. So I took all those advice, knowledge from all these um, in high school, um, in college. And then I was like, you know what? I want to be that person. So yeah. I started molding my leadership style, my retention efforts, mm -hmm. my mentoring, which is very important mm -hmm. piece in the whole transformation for the students. I want to be like them. Yeah. I want to be a resource. So how do you do that? I cross-collaborate with everybody on campus. I make sure I know a contact person in mm -hmm. every office <laughs> so that the student is not wandering aimlessly. Yeah. Especially first gen. If you give them too much information, they will overload. They might not come back. Right. Right? Aside from the finances, that it's a bigger struggle to navigate within itself. You know, but being that resource, I feel like, it's very important. And having an office outside of all your multiple offices is a lot better because the student can go there one-stop shop. Yeah. Right? Instead of getting lost. I went to SUNY Buffalo. It's a big school. I could have gotten lost. I could have been any number. But because I was, I guess, at the right place at the right time and this person sent me the email at the right time, it all aligned for me. And it right. continued to align because gotcha. I had those instrumental people. And then you as a mentor, you know, when at Ms., I think having – all that combination is helping me be a better ally for the students. 
And that's a great point. So why why do students of color need an ally who understand them separate than just any other student on campus? It's important because how you deliver the information is important. Mm -hmm. I like to deliver information from a cultural relevant lens. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, For the simple fact that you need to know the language in order to communicate. You Mm -hmm. don't want to offend somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I know what culture you're from and things like that, one example I can give you is we had a student um, who is Jamaican, Jamaican American, Mm -hmm. right? They kept asking him, you need your visa, you need your visa document. He was like, no, I'm an American, I'm an American. But because they read the last name, they kept sending him to my office. I was like, no, but you're a domestic. You're not an international student. And that frustration from him and not being able to disperse his finances because the other person across, let's say, the window didn't understand Mm -hmm. it. Right. It's frustrating. Right. Right. And then trying to explain that to your parents when they say, hey, we're getting this bill. You're not doing your job, and the student know I am doing my job, and it's a simple misunderstanding. Right. They assume because... And it's, and I wouldn't say simple, because oftentimes... <laughs> I don't want to minimize the impact here, because it's a big impact. Yeah. That feeling of not belonging, the mm-hmm. identity piece mm-hmm. is really important, especially when you're vulnerable at such a young age, and you're navigating a space where you don't have domain or mm-hmm. are grasping it as fast as your other peers are. Right. No, I get that. And so, and it, what it reminds me, I know, so when I was an undergrad, I went to a predominantly white, like, it was damn near all white. Um, <laughs> so on school, but like, even when I was looking for schools, I remember counting black people on campus every time I visited campus because it was one of those, if I'm going to go to school here, am I the only person who looks like me? I didn't even get to the, like, I didn't even know that there were diversity offices or people who were going to help with multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. I was just like, how many people here look like me. Exactly. Because it was a big jump coming from Fort Wayne. Everybody here is Indiana. I'm like, oh, it can't be that diverse. But like Fort Wayne was a large, diverse city. And then to go to a small town, it was only 45 minutes away. But I think my freshman class, there were 30 black students. And that was the most that had ever been admitted at any one point in time. And it was like, how have you never had 30 black people on campus in a class at the exact same time. And it felt lost. And we had uh, ours, we had a place called the Afro House that was for everyone, but like it was born out of that struggle, mm-hmm. right? Students who didn't feel like they belonged and were lost on campus. And so like that became our go-to place in the organizations that ran out of there. Um, and so, but I think it's really important, but as the person who's running it, how hard is that? It's like you're the mentor, you're the admissions person, mm-hmm. you're the retention person, you're, you're their advocate. You're almost like a babysitter at sometimes because mm-hmm. like they're away from home and their culture and all these things. And you're one person and in a lot of campuses. Unfortunately, it is one person. Like, how is that the flip side? How hard is that? I will say it's very hard. I take it personal because that's what you mentioned. You're the only person there. And I feel oftentimes I like to meet the parents, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So I get, so once I know the family, I get invested. Right. So it's really hard for me to turn it off. So if I know a student of mine is really struggling, I come home and I bring that baggage and yeah. I have a little one and I'm like, whoa, well, I'm still thinking about my student. Are they going to be okay? Right. Are they in a harmful situation? Or maybe I should have said this. And then I start beating myself up because I'm like, I could have done so many different things. <laughs> but at the moment, I did the best I could right. to triage the situation and make yeah. sure that the student is 
their well-being is okay. Yeah. You know, and oftentimes when we recruit students, we don't think about the little logistics. Yeah. We recruit them from like, let's say, New York City, Philadelphia, inner cities, mm-hmm. Baltimore. Wilkes-Barre is a city. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to say, yeah. but it's not. An inner city. Exactly. Yeah. So what do we need? We need to know what our barbershop, our hairstylists look like, right? <laughs> our groceries, just getting food that we normally will eat or miss from home. Mm-hmm. We tend to get homesick here. Yeah, yeah. Because for us, being so remote is country. Right. Right? <laughs> even though it's a city. And I had a, me, myself, as even as a young professional, had to deal with that. So imagine the student. Right. So I try to ease that for them a little bit. I'm like, okay, these are the places I've been to. This is a great food. And this person will take care of your hair. You know, this is a great barber. Let them know that I sent you, you know. Mm-hmm. Then they feel more at ease. Then yeah. they can start calling it maybe the home away from home. Right. Which right? is funny that you say that because I remember when you first, when we first got here, you were gone every weekend. You could not be found. And I was just as bad. I was back in the Midwest probably every two or three weeks. But you couldn't be found on the weekend because this wasn't home because there's no food. I need to go get my hair done. My family's over here, like, trying to make connections in a place that's not just different than home. Well, that's not home, but also very different than the environment, the smells, the looks. All of those things aren't there. Like You were going every weekend. And to <laughs> me, it was because of the music environment. Right. So there's... There wasn't any like bars or any nightclubs because I was still young when I moved here that I was willing to have that experience, but it wasn't offered here. Right, right. At all. Nope, I agree. Like there was no clubs in the area. And if I did, I would have to go to Hazleton. Mm -hmm. And to me, a 30 minute drive to have fun. mm, (laughs) I'd rather make the two and a half extra, you know, where I know my friends are going to be instead of me being. Outside of my comfort zone, which brings me to another conversation. I tell people to step out their comfort zone, but it's really hard once you're in that space and be like, well, I don't have any friends. What should I do on the weekend? And Mm -hmm. you don't want to be home alone. Right, right. You know, as a young professional. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to make the drive. And that is something that I chose to do for five years. Mm -hmm. And then at year five, I guess I'm right now. At that time, I was 28 when I realized, huh, huh. I don't have any friends because I don't stay long enough <laughs> after work, right? I'm not making those connections where they yeah, matter. Yeah. So then intentionally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to need to pump the brakes on these uh, weekend trips. And then the more I s- stood behind mm-hmm. and went out to restaurants to eat with different coworkers and having that exposure, and I was like, oh, there's more people than I thought there was, you know? Yeah, but it's a hard it's a very hard thing to do in a new space. And like, luckily you were a young professional, like you weren't a student, mm-hmm. but like, that's a hard thing. I remember when I was an undergrad, we would, every other Sunday, we would do a soul food dinner. Like we would, somebody would go and get chicken, someone would go get cornmeal, and like we would have greens and cornbread and fried chicken and, and yams and all these things. And we would do it every other weekend because that to us was what Sunday was supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And anybody could come down and could hang out, but like, there was no place in like in this is a metropolis compared to where we went to undergrad. Um, so like there was no place you were going to find those things. But like for me, even that was the those experiences were why I, I wanted to get involved with students of color, because I knew if you're going to a predominantly white institution and the town itself doesn't offer those things, you guarantee the institution is going to offer mm-hmm. it. You're going to leave. Right. 
not because the education is bad or you can't make friends or any of those things, it will never be home. Mm-hmm. Like I should be able to go to this place and find something right. that is relevant to me and by culture. And I think that that's one of the reasons that position and what you were doing, being able to say, here's where you can go get your hair done. Mm-hmm. This place sells this, this kind of food. Here are the things like without that liaison, Students are going to leave. Exactly. And not only that, even taking um, the students to the road test. I remember when I was an undergrad, my advisor, Lisa Rochester Mills, who hands down by far was amazing. She took me mm-hmm. to my road test. I'm like, I didn't even know what was going on. And now I I was taking a student the other day um, just to get an ID. Right. You know, so those little things can then lead to them to getting an internship, you know, and right. building that connection. Yeah, because you're from New York. So, like, exactly. you don't need a car. You don't need an ID. I didn't. But here, you do. <laughs> right. Here, you do. And that's I think that's it's important because that's part of that cultural difference as well. Like, it's not always the food or the the music or da-da-da-da-da. It's something like, I'm from a place where I don't need all of these things. But here, if I'm going to survive or stay, I have to have those things. Right. And so that's very interesting, yeah. And because of those little things that we don't see from the admission side, mm-hmm. I decided to develop a a session called Adulting One on One, which encompasses how do you apply for a passport if you want to study abroad, mm-hmm. um, going to the DMV, just an ID to get an internship because they ask you for your ID. If you don't have a valid ID, right? You know, or even, even a permit. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like they can't get an internship with an ID. Yeah, no. That's crazy. And sometimes you don't even have it because you rely on your parents so much. And now mm-hmm. you're here and you'll be like, oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm like, do you have your birth certificate? No, my parents don't. I'm like, well, we need one. Yeah. In order to apply for a U.S. passport, if you want to go somewhere, you need to have, these are the criteria you need. Yeah. And I think it's interesting as well that I could see someone going, well, but, you know, white students have those same issues. But I feel like in depending on the school system, the things that you're in, you're taught those things exactly and like when i remember when i left undergrad when i left high school like the whole idea of like loans in general like yeah people came in and spoke but like they came in to talk to the football team Mm -hmm. so like yes they mentioned loans or these other things but they were there looking at the football players and it was usually majorities were Mm african-americans right and so like and a lot of them went to back in indiana so the ball states or the iu or places where like there were more students of color But, like, if you go to a school where there isn't that and you're not – and the school isn't giving you that information, Mm -hmm. like, the notion that you might need an ID when you leave a bigger city or an inner city where there's public transportation. And while there's public transportation here, it's very different. Right. And, like, those little life skills are just how to navigate spaces that are different than yours. Right. Um, Or, you know, you talked about – what was it? You said the – Driving. Yeah, the drive like mm-hmm. like but knowing someone who will take you to go get it, right? And you call it a road test, driver's test. But like that idea To the DMV, like how, where right. do you get the form from? Like you on the, our campus, we don't have a life skills, you right. know. You do have like a first year experience foundation, mm-hmm. but that just help is helping you, okay, this is what the university has for you. Right. And that's it. It's not okay, what are some life skills that I need? Mm-hmm. Do you know how to do your own laundry? Maybe, maybe not. Right. I know I didn't learn until I was in college and then I bleached everything. <laughs> Took a bow crash course. Right. And it's funny because like, and even like the laundry example is one that I think every student 
can in fact use, mm-hmm. right? Because there are things that we take for granted that our parents are doing for us. But then I think when you throw the cultural lens on top of it as well, um, like when I was at Syracuse, I remember I was resident director there and I remember I had a, two students, freshman building, one girl was from Japan, well, she was Japanese, mm-hmm. and the other student was white and was from the area. And like the arguments they'd get over and the smell of food, mm-hmm. right? Like we spend so much time, to, how do we make sure that these students of color or international students acclimate? But then there's the flip side of how do we acclimate white students to not being in a place that's only white now. Mm-hmm. Like your roommate may be a person of color and the food they eat, the way they dress, hair products, um, all these things are different and they're so foreign to you, you immediately like, I don't want to be around that. Mm-hmm. You know, like she was microwaving fish one day. And I remember that, like they came out of my office, we had to have this entire conflict mediation session because like she was like, I, why would you microwave fish? And, blah, 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 blah. and like she was making a dish that was traditional to her mm-hmm. that she couldn't get in our cafeteria that she wasn't going to find in town. But this is something that reminded her of home. But like it turned into a conflict mediation situation because this white girl was like, I want her out of my room. Yeah, She's disgusting. And I'm like, no. is disgusting the word or is she just someone who's different than you? Right. And so, like, can you talk about that flip side of, yes, you're here to mentor and retain and do all these things for students of color, but your position also has to deal with the larger university. So the exposure piece. Mm-hmm. So because I am also, when I do the education piece, it's open to everybody. So mm-hmm. hopefully I can get that mix of folks in the audience or being intentional about right. it. So depending on what instructors or faculty member want me to come into their class, Mm -hmm. hence why I like to collaborate with faculty members so that I can come into the classroom and do a training, an awareness training Mm -hmm. on the cross-cultural communication, um, diversity in the workplace and what does that look like, taking Mm -hmm. even communicating is different. Right. Right. I say my a lot of my communication style is half American and half Dominican influence. Right. Right. I code want, switch. You have to code switch. Exactly. And sometimes I blend them so much I don't even know which one is which. I forgot. I'm like, okay, which which mode I'm on. But right. having that piece and bringing it into the classroom where you have a captive audience is very important. Mm-hmm. And because I don't have any credit bearings to my programs. I might be preaching to the choir all the time. So right. having that buy-in and that education is very important. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to happen whether you are getting disciplined. Mm-hmm. I don't like when they come into my office because I got to dis- – now you're going to think diversity is a punishment. Right. And it shouldn't be. Right. 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 It should be a celebration and a connection piece. Mm-hmm. A connection piece where you feel connected to the university because – at the end, if you're looking at it from alumni relations, you want to be a donor, <laughs> right? But if you don't feel connected right. to the mission or to the school or you didn't have a great experience, most likely you're not going to be a donor. Right. You're not going to support all these fundraising initiatives mm-hmm. that they have. Gotcha. So to me, it's very important that I at least try to connect with the students where they're at. Yeah. And not to... If, Push them to where they don't feel comfortable enough to walk in the door. Right. I like um, the Milton Hershey mm-hmm, mm-hmm, system, mm-hmm. the school, because they prepare them with all these life skills. Like they need to make sure that they know how to swim. Because swim, I, I grew up in Brooklyn. I can't swim. I'm teaching my daughter how to swim, but I got to pay for the why for her to know, you know, or at a camp that she's mm-hmm. now in Camp Kresge. Because that's a life skill that yeah. doesn't really. Right. It was there for us, but. 
who was going to take us? Right. And well, and that's, I think that's, I think there's a lot of life skills that when we think about, I don't even know if the life skills, but just experiences that students of color, if it, even if it was available where they were, mm-hmm. culturally, that's not something that was done. Mm-hmm. And so they may not have ever had that experience. And so like you're in college, but it's almost like you're an adolescent mm-hmm. in certain areas because swimming, like, yeah. From the city, we don't go swimming, like, right. or you know, being an African American, like, we don't swim, and yeah. so like, you get somewhere, and it's like, you can't swim. Well, I didn't, I didn't want to wet my hair all the time. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the curls, the detangling piece. Right. It takes a for for me and per se, and for my daughter, I'm like, yeah, I want you to go swimming, but I'm like, I don't want to because I don't want to do your hair today, right, or something like that. Those little nuances mm-hmm. that. Oftentimes that we take for granted, exactly. the others take for granted right. is like a struggle for us. Yeah. But I, in the role that I am, I want to be that connecting piece to the students where they feel like, you know, why well, at least I have somebody to talk to or mm-hmm. vent to right? when I can just be my authentic self. Yes. Talk right? about that. Talk about Because we have a lot of spaces on campus for everybody. And use mm-hmm. them because you're paying for your, your right. you know, your, your tuition dollars is already accepted. But. When you want to be seen or heard, where do you go to? Yeah. Right? And most For a lot of students of color, there's nowhere to go. Exactly. Yeah. Or they don't know where to turn. Mm-hmm. But if you have an office like mine mm-hmm. or an individual who does the same role as me, no matter where they are on their campus, right? try to gravitate to them and they will lead you to the resources that you need in order to succeed. Because right. Because having that individual, I think it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. And then once you go to, let's say, the real world, and mm-hmm. you realize, wait, I don't have this office in my workplace. Mm-hmm. How do I create it? Yeah. Can I create it? Right. Can I be that person for others? And mm-hmm. oftentimes, you might see that they are creating those spaces that they have seen themselves. Right. Trying to yeah. replicate it in their workplace. Well, I think nowadays, specifically, I think, you know, post-2020, a lot of businesses struggling to do it, but are trying to create the at least the place to have the dialogue where people can be authentic. And I think that's a, that's an important point is that even going back to the idea of code switching, a lot of students of color, depending on their background and where they're from, can't authentically be themselves mm-hmm. because you've got faculty and staff who are working at predominantly white schools and what's acceptable mm-hmm. is really what's white yeah. and not so much what's re- what's acceptable. Like, playing music in the halls is fine, right? Mm-hmm. But if the music is rap music or it's Latin music or if it's something that I don't understand, well, that's too loud. Is it too loud? Because that wasn't too loud. Right. But this is too loud. And I think there's a lot of situations where because we're not, because predominant universities aren't used to the differences, mm-hmm. whether it's the food, it's the music, you know, what's the book? Why do all the black kids sit together? Mm-hmm. Right? Like these things... And I think that there's an importance of understanding, and I think schools are trying to do better at it, and even workplaces where there's almost has to be that a period where we we are learning who you are so that you can be authentic because I think a lot of people get turned away that I have to code switch in the workplace yeah. or I have to code switch at school. So the me you see in class isn't me because I have to be on certain levels of behavior because if I don't talk in the proper King's English, mm-hmm. well, that kid's dumb. No, it's just how I talk. I can still communicate with you. I can still get the work done, but they've never been around someone who speaks differently mm-hmm. or has an accent. And so it's easy to make fun of and dismiss. And I think that that's 
we're getting better, but I think it's important that like this is why these positions exist. Right. Like having an office where I can go to where I don't have to put on a facade. Absolutely. And let my hair down and actually decompress. Be me. Yeah. You need to decompress because it's a lot. You know how much information we're constantly processing. Mm-hmm. And as a young professional at the beginning, and you talked about me leaving every weekend, I used to tell my supervisor, I need two days to unwind because I was so immersed in the culture. I was talking a certain way that when we were at the meetings, I'm not giving the numbers. Mm -hmm. Well, I was giving the numbers, but not saying it in the correct way per se. You know, and I was like, I would need, I'm still on Brooklyn mode. Give me two days so Mm -hmm. I can come back mentally to be there and readjust because it takes time because the same um, dialect, lingo, slang, whatever you would like to call it, when you come back to the workplace environment, it's completely different. Right. And I know with which coworkers I can let my hair down right. per se as, you know, or be authentic with and who not to say certain things with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that mentally is tasking. So I know if it's for me, it's mentally task. Imagine the students. Right. Right. <laughs> so now you're from New Jersey and they prop you here. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't have that support system. You're by yourself. You're trying to create new friends mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or unless you come with your own friends. Right. But, you know, there's growth happening. So even mm-hmm. if you come with a friend, you guys might grow apart. Maybe not. Right, right, right. But it it's all of that changing cycle of life that you need to adjust. So being the diversity officer, so the multicultural education individual for the students is very important. As they transition from mm-hmm. one stage to the next, because it's hard, even as an adult. <laughs> so I can imagine as a student. Right. And I think and I think we're getting better at accepting that, like, people from diverse backgrounds don't have to assimilate. Correct. Into that culture anymore and can be more of themselves yes. and that we're willing to sort of learn okay, when they say this, this is what they're talking about. And so that it's not so much I have to learn your culture, it's we're going to learn to work together and communicate together. Um, so let's move away from sort of you in particular but and talk about this position. I did a little, I was doing some research and was just looking at like what the role now, because almost every university now has this role. Um, and so what is being required? And it almost made me laugh because it's it's two years of experience, but not specifically in DEI. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, if this is what they're going to be working in, why is that not the experience? But in looking through it all, it's still almost an admissions position. Mm-hmm. They want the retention. They want you to define students. But then on top of being an admissions counselor, you've got to be a program coordinator, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got to run programs and you've got to be able to, to program for students of color, but also for the overall population and educate them. But now you've also got to be a DEI coordinator mm-hmm. because someone has to talk to our faculty and staff mm-hmm. and make sure that they're on board and understand what's going on. And then outside of all of that, you got to help with the strategic plan. What direction should we be going in? And I'm like, how is one person supposed to do all of these things? How do we make this position better Mm -hmm. or attainable in a way that there's not so much turnover? I mean, not naming names, but I know that there are universities who have gone through three or four of these individuals because the pay is too low. And this is the requirement of what we need from you, though. How do we make this position better? I think we can make it better once we take away um, 
the added pieces. Just mm-hmm. talk about the DEI framework by itself. Yeah. Don't try to incorporate admissions. I've seen that mm-hmm. model. The other model I've seen is adding VP mm-hmm. of student affairs with the DEI, and you have to do both. Right. And then the other model I've seen is incorporating Title IX yeah. with the DEI. <laughs> do you know the requirements that uh-huh. require are required for, to develop a, like a serious investigation in Title IX? Yeah. When are you going to time to have to yeah. mentor the students? Right. So once I feel like it will be best centered so for example in the role that i am in i don't have any ties to the admissions component Mm -hmm. and i don't have a ties to the um title nine or the vp right it's just diversity initiatives right during that model you can focus on programming Mm -hmm. and the student retention gotcha piece equally the same Mm -hmm. depending on the workload that the students might have and no student is the same so Mm -hmm. your framework has to constantly change and you have to have buy-in from the institution, <laughs> right? You can say one thing and you can say the other. Mm-hmm. You can bring in the students. They're not going to stay because right. they see it's not an authentic model. Gotcha. There's no consistency. Mm-hmm. If it's not from the top down and if you have it on your mission, if you have it on your website, doesn't mean that everybody is working for that same mission. Right. And how do how does one person do that? Yeah. You have to have a supportive supervisor. If you don't have not even a supportive supervisor, but a unit to bounce Mm -hmm. ideas off Mm -hmm. and feel a part of that collegiate environment, even though it's a one-person task, that person is going to feel burnt out. Uh, Yep. I've been at this particular university now. I'm going into my 12th year. And the reason I was able to do my work is because I was part of a unit. Right. Right. Alongside. I worked alongside the International Student Services and Mm -hmm. we felt like family. We felt like sisters. Like Mm -hmm. these two offices felt like sisters. We co-collaborated hands uh, all on deck when events came and things like that. That's how I was able to do what I had to do because I knew I had a group of people. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, this new model that we're turning over to is going to be siloed again. From gotcha. the previous model I worked at. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start feeling that, oh, my gosh, yeah. I'm not going to have that collegiality mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I need in order to be seen, be even to vent right. as a professional. Like, who? Oh, right. Not you. I'm a siloed again. Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> right. Right. So offering that supervisor with a unit that you can be a part of, a center or however or whatever structure is in that particular institution Mm -hmm. is very important because then that person is going to feel like they belong, that they have a seat at the table and that they're listening because you have a seat at the table doesn't mean that anybody's paying attention to you. Not only that, or that the menu, there's something for you Mm -hmm. to order. Right. Right. Right? Like you inviting me to the table, but can I eat anything at the table? Mm, No. Yeah. Did you ask me for my preferences? Do you know if I have an allergy or Mm -hmm. something? Like how do you just invite me to the table and expect me to, Right. Figure it out. No, like at least try to accommodate in that Mm -hmm. piece. So for me, that retention piece was important because if I felt like I belong, guess what? I'm going to make sure my students feel like they belong. Right. And I'm reciprocating that. Mm -hmm. If the institution is not making me feel like I belong, guess what? I'm going to be real mean to these students. (laughs) And it's not their fault. Right. But we're humans. Right. So if you don't feel like you belong, you don't feel like you're loved, empowered. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think you're going to feed to the students? Exactly. The same thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's, and I love that you 
because of where you've been, you keep thinking of it as a singular position. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whereas I think I personally, I don't know that I would ever want to do your role and not be a part of a DEI department or like that's a separate, team. a team, like that's separate. Like, and I love that you get to work with the person who's doing international and that they were smart to separate the two. Mm -hmm. Because international students do have very different issues and need different advocacy and things to worry about than students who are domestic students of mm -hmm. color. But also internationalism also means student of color, right? Like they're coming to a different culture and it may still all be white, but you're still culturally different than mm -hmm. an American. So I like that those are separate. But I think that that's for me, all, when I looked, when I was looking through all these things, it was always there was a supervisor and then there was this person. But it's like, but where's the rest of the department? There is, um, yeah, oftentimes it's a siloed or it's not visible enough mm -hmm. or the person has to be 20 different things. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, we do have a student in crisis that you need to help out. <laughs> oh, by the way, you have a student in your office that doesn't leave. Right. Because oftentimes when they build that relationship, yeah. They just want to be there. Yep. Yep. They like to sit there, be seen, be heard, but be there in front of like, okay, this is, I feel like I belong here. Let me stay mm -hmm. here in between classes. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I got a meeting. Oh, I have a Zoom and I have to kick you out. I'm sorry. <laughs> but having that space. Yeah. Not only the office, but having like a, a lounge, mm -hmm. calling mm -hmm. it for them where the representation matters. Yeah. Visual pictures, mm -hmm. flags. Little things that we can do that will speak magnitude and volume for the student is very important. Not only for the student, but for the family. Yeah. When they come to visit your space. They'll right. be like, oh, I have a doll. And somebody oftentimes asks, oh, I know that doll is from this country. I'm like, oh, yeah, a student brought it from Malaysia. Mm -hmm. You know, these are like little tidbit conversations that you are start empowering the students without mm -hmm. you even knowing. Right. And even the family, if they come and see it, I'm like, oh. Okay, you know what? I feel more comfortable that they have somebody right. that will understand. Nope. And that's the response I often get from the parents. Mm -hmm. Well, see, and I think when I love that you, you need to go back to the institutional buy-in because it has to be top-down, right? It like has It has to, to be. be one of those where I still think it needs to be a department, not an individual, um, but I don't make budgets. Um, <laughs> but the idea of looking at like if, if the university doesn't buy-in, if there's not a physical space where students that are multicultural or of color or the LGBT community or whatever it's going to be, if they don't have a space that's separate from the rest of the university that's theirs to own, it's hard to feel included. Mm -hmm. No matter, you're right, all of the things that are on the website and everything that's said, but right, but where do I go to feel included? Mm -hmm. Because that's that almost has to happen first before they feel included in the general overall campus. Because it's a culture shock. Mm -hmm. If you're not someone who grew up in a predominantly white environment as a student of color and now you're you've got six classes and you you're the only student of color in five of them your entire outlook has changed yeah. because you know that everyone's looking at you because you're the only one and so having a physical space having an office that I can go and hang out in having someone to turn mm -hmm. to becomes super super important um so from that how how, outside of just the institutional board, what else can universities do, in your opinion, to do better? Like, I know for me, one of the ones is always faculty have to be involved, right? Not just showing up to events, but some of that burden can come off of you. Mm -hmm. Like, why aren't faculty learning the things that you know 
And when they're advising students saying, hey, I talked to Erica Mm -hmm. and you should go do like, why is it only you? What other things can universities do to lighten that load? I think possibly hiring more diverse faculty. Mm -hmm. I will say that hiring more diverse deans Mm -hmm. or deans that come with uh, innovative framework Mm -hmm. or that been immersed in the multicultural experience. Right. Having that piece is very important because it's going to trickle down from the dean to your fac to your mm-hmm. faculty, right? Gotcha. Um, diversifying whoever is on your committees, mm-hmm. like the hiring committee. Yeah, have they gone to like a unbiased or biased training mm-hmm. or something like that, so that when you're hiring individuals, you're hiring that reflects the student population right and not only your unit because i know there's different departments that are solely um white appearing Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i don't don't know i don't know how you know so it's really hard when you have a student let's say of color or from a diverse background want to connect with Mm -hmm. a department and they're like well i don't know yeah but hopefully one of they have an ally with a faculty member. Oh, I did this multicultural education piece. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know this office. Maybe you can engage with the office, right. right? So it also stems from me stepping out and reaching out to the faculty member. Hey, mm-hmm. this is what I can offer. This is what I can do. But it's a lot of work, as yeah. you said. If I'm focused on all this other <laughs> things that I need to be doing, I don't have right. time to build those relationships. Right, right, right. And the burnout is real. Three years max maybe five Mm -hmm. i honestly don't know how long i you know i've been at this position for now 12 years and it's because i had that team right and a supervisor that allowed me to branch out outside of the campus Mm -hmm. getting community involvement community buy-in where i can bring along the students hey we have this parade you want to come alongside or hey i'm going to this networking event i know they have young professionals why don't you come with Mm -hmm. you know and so that they can feel some type of connection and don't have to go home that often. But what the school can definitely do is offer support to those one-person offices, probably offer a graduate assistant is very Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. Right, because it has to start somewhere. If I have a graduate assistant that loves DEI Mm -hmm. or loves that framework, guess what? A graduate assistant, we can train them, and then hopefully they can go into the workforce doing the Mm -hmm. same thing. Right. Right. Um, so you mentioned community as well, like going to parades and going to events in communities. What do you what would you say to community leaders not associated with the university that are in towns that don't have a lot of diversity, but you've got a university who's trying to diversify? What can communities and cities and towns do to help make it so that these diverse students don't view this as a four year stopover? Mm-hmm. And then I'm getting the hell out of here because there's nothing here. What can communities do outside of opening restaurants and, and blah, blah, blah. But what can communities and community leaders do to be in accepting and inviting the students of color? I will say job fairs. Mm-hmm. Attend the different job fairs offered by the internship or career office. Mm-hmm. Meet with the diversity folks on campus. Right. Right? Um, like with that office. Let's, yeah. let's say, for example, I had a friend at a particular business. Hey, I have these positions. Do you know a student that might fit the role? I'm like, oh, perfect. I know a couple of students. And that way, that relationship mm-hmm. piece, mm-hmm. and that way we both can help each other out. Right. Um, exposure is very important. So if 
the university has, let's say, like an MLK event that is open to the public, come onto the campus, start mm-hmm. meeting them where they're at. And it's a free learning experience right. also for the community. Like, just come onto the campus depending on how open right. they are. Right, right, right. But there's guest speakers. You can always attend different workshops mm-hmm. to increase that. Right. And exposure is very important. Dialogue is important. Mm-hmm. Where do you have a safe dialogue? In a classroom or in a workshop setting. Yeah. Not at the office where, where you're next to HR. You can't have an open yeah. conversation. But, yeah. you know, try to bridge that gap mm-hmm. in talking or coming onto the campus that way. Okay. All right. Um, and so thinking of, like, the evolution of this position over time, where would you like to see a multicultural or diversity position go? Like, if in 15 years... Hopefully, we've moved on from a lot of what's going on in the world today. How does this position evolve and still stay relevant? How would it evolve? I think with the exposure and retention of the students, I think it's Mm -hmm. going to be a constant evolution. Mm -hmm. Now that we're seeing a decrease in student enrollment, Mm -hmm. it might be a shift. It might be a culture shock for a lot of us that we were not expecting. We saw it coming. Right. You know, there was a lot of literature, but did we really pay attention? Mm, <laughs> I don't know. But hopefully I'm not doing the, let's say, microaggression sessions. Right. That is one that I would like to be done with. Exactly. But guess what? It still happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it happens in the most like, oh, did that really happen? Like, it happens so subtle now that you don't even know yeah, yeah, what it is. So hopefully with the exposure and the communication and with all these movements happening mm-hmm. and where people actually trying to put money where their mouth is, right. hopefully we are learning this mm-hmm. information and practicing it. Just exactly. because you received it doesn't mean you're able to put it in practice. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So hopefully... Um, we won't have a lot of, let's say, racial and gender conflict, mm-hmm. right? And that we're able to say, you know what? I don't agree with you, but we can still be friends. We can still go out and enjoy a hike or do something together mm-hmm. without saying, you know, my way or the highway. Right. You right. know, and, and it's hard because I feel like we're in this polarizing climate right now mm-hmm. that you have to pick. Yeah. Right. I don't remember it being this hard, especially me as a professional writer. I don't remember DEI being walking on eggshells every two seconds. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So in the future, hopefully we don't have that, like not walking on eggshells that we can be our authentic self without worrying about. Is this going to come bite me? Right. Or am I posting this correctly? Am I saying it right without Mm -hmm. maybe I want to go in a different field? My post from 10 years ago will not allow me to get my future job because of what mm-hmm. I posted. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. You talk about we need to diversify staffs. We need to diversify deans and all these things. Um, one, there's a, there's a lot of big work being done outside of universities at looking at how we hire mm-hmm. and looking at affinity bias and all these different things, but also like, here's what traditionally, if you have this position, you have to have done these things mm-hmm. and accepting nowadays that 90% of these things don't actually matter. They just sort of carry over because this is how we've always done it. Is there a space, is there an opportunity that if we're looking to diversify universities, we we stop and take a look at, all right, yes, the dean of this school has to have a degree in this area, but if we're going to diversify, we need to also acknowledge 
a lot of these groups or individuals were held out of these positions. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to say we need we need more diverse professors, we need more diverse deans, we need to move faculty and staff and blah, 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 blah. But how do we acknowledge the flip side that the diverse individuals we want historically have been excluded from the education and the access and all those things? How do we counterbalance? How do we work that out where we can say, you may not meet all of the criteria we used to have, but we need to change. Mm-hmm. And so how do we work through that? I think the way we work through that is looking at the person's holistic portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. If the person has a lot of community engagement or other skills in dealing with certain communities, why not offer that position to that individual and then build them up? Mm-hmm. Right. Oftentimes mm-hmm. we don't want to build the folks up or mold them to where we need to be. Right. We want to have this person already hit the ground running and you may not get the person that you want. Right. But offering that incentive like, look, OK, because I feel like when I applied for the admissions job, I didn't have all the criteria that they needed. Right. I never done recruitment. Mm-hmm. I, w- I did recruitment through my sorority because I was a membership educator person. But. Right. I didn't know how to recruit students. I knew how to sell my sorority because I'm passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And it's is that they took a risk on me and they molded me. Right. 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 And then from all the support and leadership and professional development, I was able to meet that five-year mm-hmm. requirement that I needed in order to apply for my next role. Right. Because that institution was like, oh, you know what? We're going to start you here and then work yourself up. Gotcha. And offering that communal space Mm -hmm. and then working with let's say for example master's program Mm -hmm. build a relationship with different master's program i'm talking about jobs Mm -hmm. like outside of the higher ed so that you can at least have some type of a pipeline of what you would like to see in your workforce right and retain them if the person feels like this company is valuing them with the right dollars because money talks (laughs) right money talks (laughs) and then you can see that diversification happen on its own. Right, right. And with intention, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be intentional of what you're putting out there. Right. But if you're doing that, make sure you're listening mm-hmm. to your audience. Word of mouth is very important. If a work culture is toxic, best you believe, Everybody 15 knows. people know. <laughs> and guess what? 15 people know and then another 15. And guess right. what? Nobody wants to come and work there. The same goes for education, right? Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Word of mouth is very important. Mm-hmm. Like the students recruit their own students. Right. We recruit our own friends to come work with us. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know a job. Why don't you come work with me? We can do this together mm-hmm. and things like that. So pay attention to what we are doing in-house. Right. That impact our outside hiring and our outside communities. Gotcha. Because people are listening. Yeah. Well, I like that you said the idea of looking at them at a holistic view where they may not check every box but they check eight out of the 10 and we'll build them up Mm -hmm. because I think, and I'm sure in the data is there that quite often, especially when you think like nepotism in the workplace, often there are people who are hired who do not qualify for the position, but they know somebody Uh or they're related to someone or whatever it is. And so they get hired in and they get lifted up. And it's one of those, well, you're already doing this with this population. Uh How about we start looking at things more broadly with everyone? Exactly. Not that we should hire unqualified people, but, you know, on a scale of 10 required, th- 10 things I need, if you can meet eight mm-hmm. and I can train you in two, but you bring all of these other qualities mm-hmm. that I didn't know I needed, let's take that risk. Yeah. 
um, because I was looking at like the chief diversity officers, right? Exactly. When you start getting in that higher admin role and they're like, oh, well, you need eight years of DEI and all this other work. And Title IX, Title Seven work. And I'm like, what? Well, also, but where are you getting it? Mm-hmm. Like, where are you getting eight years of DEI work if we haven't diversified who we were hiring at the admissions or the diversity person mm-hmm. or the retention? Like, if we haven't diversified there and we're not even paying attention to those roles, how are you supposed to hire a chief diversity person who can connect with students and do all these things and run a department when you're not actually doing it at a lower level in your university in the first place? Absolutely. Yeah. Or having that support. Right. 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 And it's having that support is very important before you hire the person. Don't <laughs> hire the person and then you're scrambling to offer this person support because it's not going to work. Right, right, right. Build it. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you get buy-in from the staff and faculty that are there, the students. Okay, I think this looks good. Let's Now let's try to get somebody to run it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The person who's running it cannot build it themselves. Right. They can. They but can. they shouldn't have to. Exactly. Yeah. Especially now in 2022. Right. Yeah. Um, and talk about the money. <laughs> <laughs> talk about the money. Well, but it's important. Like, and I think I think that's one of the, these, these things is people see folks who are passionate about DEI and they want to invite people in to speak or to do these programs or whatever. Or, you know, come in and say, all right, we need you to help with emissions and retention and programming and strategic planning. Blah, 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 but we're going to pay you $28,000 a year. No, oh, we're gonna pay that's unrealistic. 000, unrealistic. You know, and, unrealistic. And universities have a pay issue in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably get in trouble for that one. But um, how do you, you know, talk about the money. Like, there's the high turnover rate. There's the burnout. There's all these things. We're asking you to not just represent this university, but do all of these things, but we're paying you a pittance. Mm-hmm. What does that say about the university overall? So what it's saying is that, hey, we want you, but you know what? We don't have enough money, so this is what you're going to have to deal with. Right. That's basically what it's saying. Either you take it or not, we're going to find somebody else to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see the high turnover. Yeah. Um, And it's hard because there's not a lot of money in that particular um, category unless you come from a good school or unless you're a great negotiator. Right. You know? And I'm not a great negotiator. I don't even know how to negotiate. Maybe I could be making more money mm-hmm. if I will advocate or have that negotiating mm-hmm. piece. But like I said, I don't have yeah. that that piece for in order to advocate for myself to get like a pay raise. Mm-hmm. Right? I feel guilty. Yeah. And it's just me. I mm-hmm. don't know. But I'm like, no, I don't even know what's going to, maybe 10%, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. no. You know what? Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. And at the end, it's because I didn't grow up in a culture where... We spoke about money. Mm-hmm. I learned about how or what my mom made when mm-hmm. I went to college that I started asking her for W-2s. Yeah. And even then, I didn't know. Right, right. I started knowing what my mom made when I was 28 years old. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you know what? This is your salary? Because now I know what my salary is. I'm like, this is what you made? Well, which is funny because for a lot of us coming from a poor upbringing, you're like, how did, how did you raise all of us making that? Exactly. How you <laughs> made it work? But because we had that community. Right. Right. You know, you you knew somebody or somebody knew, oh, we're mm-hmm. going to go to this person. We're going to eat it here. Mm-hmm. Or there were services that yeah. provided you with right. meals and you didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Right. But is it until you become an adult and you start advocating for your own money that you realize how hard right. having conversation about money really is? Yeah. But for some folks who grow up around money, it's, mm-hmm. it might be a lot easier for them mm-hmm. to talk about it. Well, but I think also 
how do you expect someone who, and if you're working in DEI, there's a good chance you probably are a person of color or someone who falls into one of these you know underrepresented groups. You're walking in as an underrepresented individual applying for a job to help other underrepresented mm-hmm. individuals, knowing the money is not right. But how do you then advocate for the money? Like you're like, I already know I'm only here because I'm going to check a box, mm-hmm. and now I'm arguing for money. So I think it's I think it's one of those universities have well, just businesses in general have to be willing to put the money out up front and not expect this person who's in a bind almost mm-hmm. like I want to do this job because I'm passionate about it and I want to help and da da da. But you're not offering real money, and if I exactly. don't take it. What happens to the students that are going to get this help, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, you're going to find someone who will take it, but they're going to be gone in two years and all you have all these retention issues. And so I think it's one of those like it sucks because you have to advocate for yourself. While advocating, advocating for the for, students <laughs> at the same time. Right. And part of that is that you may be new to advocating for yourself as a student, as a person of color or someone from the LGBT community or a woman like that's just a hard thing to do because traditionally you're not supposed to be here in the first place or be advocating for yourself and you're expecting to make that flip. And so I think, I think it's important that we always mention when talking about these roles in this work, the money has to be there. Yes. The money has to be there and having allies needs to be Mm -hmm. there too. Mm -hmm. Because if I didn't have, let's say one of my coworkers saying, yeah, if that's what you're making, you need to be like, you need to ask for more money or even having my one of my sorority sisters she's she's really good at advocating for finances yeah like she's already making i will say close to six figures Mm -hmm. and that's because she's a real push she's like no no this i know what's my worth yeah and it's like okay i know what's my worth too but I don't want to be too aggressive. Right, right. Because it's not the same environment. Right. And right? again, like in-, in She in works pre- in healthcare, so there's more money in healthcare. Right. Well, and it goes back to, you said that, you know, there's not a lot of money in diversity. There's ton. I think, I think there's a lot of money in it. I just think it's one of those, the folks who are doing that work are afraid to ask for more. Could be. And I know, I, I think I am at that, and I can be vulnerable mm-hmm. and say that I'm probably scared just by like, Am I being over realistic? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. If I say I want this much, how realistic am I being? Yeah. No, but I know the work that I do. Right. I have students in my house on the weekends. <laughs> I feed them in the summertime, barbecues, come over because I know they need that. Yeah. I know they need that communal space mm-hmm. that I can't. I don't have a kitchen in my office, but I have a kitchen in my house. Right. You know, come see me after work mm-hmm. where we might not get in trouble, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we can have those kind of potlucks in that. Mm hmm. That community. Yes, yeah. exactly. Community is important. We keep yeah. coming back to the community mm-hmm. retention, yeah. which sometimes money cannot buy those things. Right, right. Right? And it's like, what yeah. are you doing? Well, it's the, it's the space. And I think the kitchen is hilarious because that's the one thing I really think about for a lot of marginalized groups, the importance of food and not so much just the food, but like it's the meal, mm-hmm. right? Like being able to sit and have the Sunday dinner that you're used to with mm-hmm. folks who are and everyone's bringing stuff in. That like once that's gone, that really hurts you wanting to stay mm-hmm. there because it's like, yeah, but I just I want collard greens, right. <laughs> you know, like I want to be or I want to be able to go to the barbecue somewhere mm-hmm. and hang out and understand the cultural difference between this cookout and this cookout and what we do and the music we play. Like there's so many differences that, that if the community is not there, Mm -hmm. it's easy to lose folks. Yeah. It's really easy because they're missing something. And I think that, that that we have to find ways of providing it or an outlet to it. 
yeah. in some way, shape, or form because you should not be taking students to your house. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but like I said, I was molding my experience right. from what was offered to me. So I remember in college, it was one Easter weekend. And it was snowing too much. There was there was a blizzard. Mm-hmm. Buffalo is always a blizzard. <laughs> but um, I remember it being a snowstorm, and I couldn't get home. Mm-hmm. And I was like crying because I wanted to get home. And then this is before I pledged, so I didn't have sorority sisters at the time. And I'm like, what am I gonna do? I'm home alone mm-hmm. in the residence halls. And one of my advisors was like, hey, I'm having Sunday dinner. It's only like seven minute walk from campus. If it snows too much, don't worry about it. We can see how we can get you a plate. Right. If not, then can you walk? We can get you a plate. <laughs> yeah, she was willing to bring me a plate. Yeah. So then, luckily, it w- it was severe enough, but it wasn't as bad that I couldn't walk. Yeah. So I walked to her house. Right. You know, and I was able to have Sunday dinner with her. Yeah. And her family, and I was like, oh my god, this is so nice. Right. And that one little thing is all it took, right? Exactly. So now if I can do that. Yep, I get it. I or get even it. cook something and bring it in for mm-hmm. them, then I'm I'm able to do that. Yeah. I know my, my mom and my sister is like, why are you always bringing students to the house? I'm like, <laughs> well, they were hungry. They yeah. needed a space, you know, yeah. to vent outside of the campus. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yeah. And that mentoring piece is very important. It is. I think it's, well, I think, yeah, because if you can show the students that you care and you're representing the university goes back to, you know, once they're graduating, but also there's someone they've connected mm-hmm. with, not just academically or all these other things, but like who looks like them and can provide that missing sense of community. Even if it's just a dinner on Sunday, Hey, come by, mm-hmm. we're cooking. I'll make sure you get a plate. Yeah. And so a lot of the conversations that, you have authentically happen off campus. Yeah, yeah. Right? Or happens on a service trip Mm -hmm. that you get to know the student Mm one-on-one. You get to know their struggle. Oh, this is why you're not, this is why you're not succeeding in the classroom. Not because you're not paying attention or not Mm -hmm. because you want to show up. It's because you have family situation. Your family is being in shambles. Yeah. But you're not telling me anything because you're afraid to talk to me. Right. But now that I brought you outside of my power space where my right. office is my power and you're seeing that power shift mm-hmm. dynamic, you're not going to, but if we take that power piece out yeah. where either we're walking or doing a service trip where the students can be more vulnerable mm-hmm. and divulge that information, then I can be a better ally for them. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember what you said to me and I'm going to try to get the services that you need. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Right. Whether it's me reaching out to health services or to a counseling or saying, you know what, how about you call your parents and say maybe you need to take the semester off and be right. with your family. Yeah. But if they don't know that they are allowed to do that or right. even take that time to be like, you know what, my mental health is more important. Mm-hmm. Let me see how we can do this together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I want to end on this then. So. So we've been talking about, you know, the idea of working with multicultural students and 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 whether that's on race or religion or um, queer status, whatever. But it because someone's going to say, well, shouldn't we be doing this for all students? Ha, sounds like my husband. Yes. <laughs> yes. We do have it for all students. Uh-huh. My office is open up. Most of our offices is open mm-hmm. up for all students. It's just who gravitates to us, who right. needs it the most will come. Right. And students that, for example, if I help a student with a situation, I remember um, this one particular student was asking 
help because the mom had recently gotten deported and didn't know what to do. Right. And the student is here. Guess what? It's time to reapply for your FAFSA. She doesn't know what to do. Her mom is not here. She doesn't have right. a W-2 or however to fill it out. So everybody kept telling her, all her friends, go see Miss Erica, go see Miss Erica, go see Miss Erica. And then, she, but you know what? I don't know if I can. Somehow she ended up coming. Right. So she came. I was able to help her. Then, because I helped her, then her um, her white roommate at the time needed help with something else. Uh-huh. I guess, I don't know what was going on with her per se. And she brought the students to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hi, how are you? How can I help you? And she was like, I know you don't help us. I know. Don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. I'm here for everybody. And I am here for mm-hmm. everybody. It's who wants it the most or right. who knows about it. Because oftentimes mm-hmm. our offices are not highlighted right. as much as other offices around campus or on a campus tour. Mm-hmm. They might not stop in. But I'm glad the student was able to come in and we were able to get her home. Right. And it was something about finances. The yeah. student didn't have enough finances to get to where she needed to go. Gotcha. And I'm like, I spoke to one of the deans. Do we have some petty cash to get a bus ticket? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then I was able to do that. But the offices are open up to everybody. Right. And I think, and I, and, and cause I know that's going to be the feedback as well. Why can't we do these for all students? And I think that people often forget when we talk about culture and culture shock, that these services are available to all students, exactly. but the person sitting at the desk will determine who feels comfortable walking to the door. Exactly. And if the only people that they have access to ask for help for don't look like them, uh-huh. Or don't have a similar background, right? Like talking about the idea of understanding, dealing with immigration issues mm-hmm. and things of that nature. A lot of white faculty and staff aren't going to understand that. But you being Dominican, you have a better understanding of what it's like when it comes to immigration and these things. Mm-hmm. And so a student may come to you sheerly out of the notion that you're brown. And you understand what it's like to be not from here mm-hmm. or associated with not from here. So you need to be in that position. Right. Because they're not going to ask someone else. That's not on the student. It's not on the university. That's da, 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 da. It's understanding just psyche. You have to have a multicultural office if for nothing other reason and name students who are new to a university or a city or a campus or whatever may not feel comfortable going to a white admissions counselor or advisee and saying, hey, my mom was deported and I have to do these things. Right. Unless they know that that white ally Mm -hmm. has exposure enough buy-in from the other folks. Exactly. Right? So if I know, for example, I know a faculty member that if I have a student that has X, Y, and Z in her class or feel some type of way, I can call that to that faculty member because I know that faculty member has studied right. multicultural or is invested mm-hmm. in the DEI. Right. So I built allies. So then I'm able to send that student. You know what? I can help you. But, but I know this faculty can and they can help you navigate right. the academic side yeah. of the house yeah. where I can only help you in the student services side of right. the house. Right. You know, but it's having those allies. How do we build them? Right. How do we find them? How do we seek them out? And oftentimes as faculty and staff, we know who our allies are <laughs> because they're the ones advocating for us when we're not at the table. Yes. that's all. Right. That so all. we want to make sure that. Somebody comes and tells me, oh, this person was advocating for you. And oftentimes they mm-hmm. would. Oh, let me tell you, your name came up at this meeting and this person stood up for you and said, you know what? That's right. We need more help here. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. But not just saying it, but practicing it when the individual is not at the table. How exactly. can we bring the table to the person? Right. Yeah. Right. I forget. I don't know if it was um, Tyler Perry or Oprah. One of them, they were talking somewhere and they was like, you know what? I'm tired of ha- trying to beg for a seat at the table. Why don't I make my own table? Right. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> That's what I am for the students. Right. You know, they don't have a table. How can we bring them up here? How can we hear them, see them, Mm -hmm. support them so that they can graduate? Because our goal is to graduate. Right. And oftentimes there's a roller coaster. Sometimes I don't see them graduate because maybe it was not the right time Mm -hmm. or the timing was off or the finances weren't there. Yeah. For them to succeed. But I at least would like to be that table Mm -hmm. or that avenue where they can come. Sit. And feel like, you know what, somebody's listening to me in this big old campus. And then it's my mission to navigate the uncharted waters to make them sure <laughs> that they get through, you know. Yeah. And not only for my students, but I do that also for my staff. Yeah. Um, and I don't have staff, but when I talk staff, I mean mm-hmm. like my peers. Right. Yeah. So what do we miss? What do, what do we not discuss? What's important? What do you want to repeat so people walk away with and looking at this idea of diversity in education and not diversity in education, but the role of a diversity coordinator and a multicultural coordinator? What do we miss? I think we missed the equity piece. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we need to make it equitable for everyone and Mm -hmm. it's not the same for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we we made it to the admissions application process and we accepted Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that our job ends there. Right. I feel that's where it's just beginning. Right. 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 And then sitting down and offering and tailoring it so everybody can succeed. Mm -hmm. And that might take some people longer. Some people might need your services and Mm -hmm. some don't. Yeah. And don't take it personal if they don't need it. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes I have students when I send out mass emails, Mm -hmm. how did you get my email? Why did you single me out? I'm like, uh, pause. (laughs) You filled out an application (laughs) and you self-identified. Hence how I got your name. Right. These are the services. Feel free to take advantage or not. Right. Um, So as an admissions bridging that gap there, like just don't leave them because you work with them a lot in the application process and calling them and having that. So they're more engaging with the admissions counselor and then they come in and then it's like, okay, bye. Right. The difference between the equality and equity, like equality. Yeah. You can apply. Everyone can apply. Now that you've applied, how do we make it equitable that you can succeed? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then it's bridging that little gap. Mm -hmm. And that's not a big, that is a big gap. It's not that little. Yeah. You know, so if you knew that they were struggling in the process, Make sure, be like, hey, Erica, reach out to them early on. This mm-hmm. is what happened. But oftentimes there's no conversation between the two offices. Right, right. And I felt like in the other model when I was there, I, w- I knew the process. Right. I'm like, I knew your grades. I knew where you would succeed. Let me see if I can have other services. Right. At the in beginning. your wheelhouse. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Set you up to succeed right. instead of like, here you go. Here's the instructions. You figure it out. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? This is what you said for hiring staff or having, you know, a DEI officer or something. The support needs to be there before the person exactly. arrives. Not, oh, you need the support. Let's go find it. Mm-hmm. And now we're wasting time, which now they're looking elsewhere. Mm-hmm. If the support is there, which means this office has been brought in because something Early was flagged. Enough. Exactly. That like, it's, it's, it's almost not just admissions, but we're retaining you already. Mm-hmm. Before you've said on campus, we're already working on retaining you. Absolutely. Yeah. 
and the school is working toward and they will feel it mm-hmm. like these are the offices or this is my group i think they're setting me up to succeed instead yeah. of like oh i don't know what's going on yeah yeah so all right well erica costa thank you very much thank you for having me no problem um if folks wanted to reach out and talk about this further with you, what's the best way to help get all of you? Um, send me an email to my mm-hmm. personal email, acosta.erica, A-C-O-S-T-A, period, E-R-I-C-A, at gmail.com. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Systemic. This podcast aims to create a community of change and can only do so through your support. Please make sure you subscribe and follow wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you would, head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and leave a review. The more you share and review Systemic, the more our community of change can grow. Another way you can help is supporting Systemic on Patreon. Your contributions will allow the podcast to expand and give you the opportunity to support Systemic offline. Thank you again for listening and your support. Systemic is a production and passion of Park Multimedia. And remember, to solve any problem, you must first acknowledge it exists.